Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 188, and it's proudly brought to you by the recently formed TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegreynato.com for more details. Jason, how are you doing? I am doing well. It's uh, it's a weird episode, uh, as we've uh, both admitted uh, to each other here. You know, we're recording this in mid-March, but I'll be gone uh, the whole month of April. So we're doing some weird kind of pre-recording stuff and trying to record some things remotely. And this is one of those episodes, but uh, it should be fun. And I think it's a, it's it's a good one to do a month a month before it'll air, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think a film club makes sense. Uh, you know, we're not going to have a lot of chit chat on this episode simply because it wouldn't make any sense. It's a month delayed. So anything I bring up or Jason, anything we might bring up in this episode will actually be talking about something similar or resolve said issue by the next episode, which will be one that you guys listen to quite a bit sooner. So it's, it's a it's a bit of a blended schedule with Jason being uh, remote for the the bulk of April and, of course, the Watches and Wonders pressure and the rest of it. So we're doing some pre-records. I think for a film club, who cares that much about the chit-chat? You're here for the movies. And uh, and we can probably have a little bit of fun with Wrist Check because you and I are both kind of dealing with a similar conundrum in that we have some travel coming up and we haven't really figured out what watches to take with us. Yeah, you'll be in Geneva. I'll be in Sri Lanka. And and by the time people hear this, uh, it'll be a... It'll be a known thing, uh, what, what's on our wrists and what we decided to take. You know, I, I've got this trip to the far side of the world and I'm, I'm as often as the case with trips like this, it's like, what, uh, what watch do I wear? What do I take as a backup? And, and I've got a few options. I'm, I'm guessing it'll be the Omega uh, just because I've been wearing it so much. And then I'll, I'll probably tuck something else in like a CWC or a right. Vertex or something. But um Today I'm wearing the the Tornick Rayville, the the TR660. I've I've been I've been loving that one, but uh, you know whether that makes the journey with me um, remains to be seen. But uh, what about you? Now you've got Geneva coming up, and and your, yours is kind of a different sort of trip. You're not you're not going somewhere tropical with potentially some diving and hiking involved. You're you're going to be right at the Pell Expo. Yeah, exactly. So I've got uh, Geneva with Watches and Wonders coming up, and I, I probably will take two watches: a dress watch and something a little bit more sporty. Yeah. Almost all of my dress watches are really all of my dress watches are out for repair. They've been with Roldorf for some time. <laughs> so there's that. And then just literally just when we started the conversation, which would eventually be this recording, um, DHL dropped off uh, a watch for me that all of you will already know that I have. Uh, but it's brand new to me in this moment. And that's this Seiko Dolce SACM 150. <laughs> so it's this it's this cool little dress watch. I bought it from Sierra. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, of course, but again, we would have talked about this on a couple episodes ago. It's just brand new to me. So you're getting the raw kind of fun of it. It was this weird watch that I came across, you know, I, I, I was saying to, to, you know, I'm on record really loving the very early Grand Seiko, um, 3180s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like their kind of clean dial and the mountain hands and the very subtle dial furniture and the finishing and the gold case and the rest of it. But those, even if you found, if you could find a ratty one, we're talking like several thousand dollars. Yeah. So I'm always on the lookout for things that kind of capture that structure, but would would kind of hit at a lesser price point, really, yeah. right? Yeah. And so this this Dolce is under four hundred dollars. It's uh, about thirty four millimeters, thirty three and a half millimeters wide. So it's a small dress watch with a tiny crown, um, but it has very similar generalized features. It, it's it's five. 0.3 millimeters thick, so it's way thinner than the 3180. It's got 16 millimeter lugs. They're drilled lugs. It's gold plated. And then what I thought, what kind of tipped me over the edge with this one was one, it's quartz, which I think is kind of fun for a dress watch for me. Yeah. Especially a dress watch that I'll probably put on a casual strap and then try to dress it down rather than up. And um, and then the the other kind of added bit is it uses uh, a, an eight series super accurate quartz movement. So it's an 8J41. So it's plus minus 10 seconds a year. And it's a ticking seconds hand that aligns quite nicely with the markers for those who are concerned about such things. And for, I don't know, like with the taxes, it was less than 500 bucks Canadian. Uh, It'll make a great story. Uh, You know, I've long been hemming and hawing over buying a tank must or, you know, various smaller dress watches. And I think this is roughly the same size. Being circular, it does wear quite small. Yeah. And I'll see if it kind of grows on me or if it, or if after a couple of weeks, it just feels like a small watch. <laughs> but I, 
I'm thinking that right now, because I have several vintage watches that are like 36, 37 millimeters. Right. And and I really enjoy that. So I don't think it's that big of a stretch to go down to 33 and a half. Um, and so far, I like it. I, it. It came on this thin kind of patent alligator leather, very shiny sort of thing. And I swapped it out for um, a sort of brown lizard scale strap that I have just laying around. There's a couple straps on the Hodinky shop that I think would be perfect. I'm going to do a little Photoshop and decide which one I like the best and pick that up. But I mean, at that point, the strap is is starting to cut in on half the price of the watch, right? <laughs> which is fine if, if you get something you really like. But this is a, it's a weird thing. It's so thin and light. It, it, it has a bit of that like Calatrava feel to it. And then it, it has this really beautiful kind of um, this like mica effect gold and cr- kind of silvery dial. Uh, you know, take a look at the at the photos and that kind of thing. It was kind of between this and um, what was the one we were just talking about? The SRP H thirty seven. Yeah, the Star Bar cocktail timer, right? Yeah, which which I think is also kind of a, a nice looking watch. It's forty millimeters. It's a mechanical watch, but like a similar dial texture. The mountain style hands. This one that has a date. This uh, this cool quartz one doesn't. So yeah, maybe this one will scratch the itch, or maybe I'll be I'll, I'll flip this one and try the the new Presage uh, limited edition. You know, they're making. You can find both of those in the show notes. But I think I think I'm leaning towards probably this and maybe the Bremont S302 or my Explorer. Um, you know, something that I could do a second time zone with. Luckily, when all the dust settles with DST, it's six hours, which I really don't need help remembering how to go backwards or forwards six hours. Yeah. And and I'm not changing times. I'm just making the one change. I'm going to Geneva. I'm staying in Geneva, and then I'm coming home. Sure. So there's not a lot of bouncing around. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that's where I'll land. You know, in your case, you've got a route in which you might want to change the time. Plus, you're, you're going to have to account for a half an hour. Uh, so it's sort of a different scene in which almost a GMT. Plus, you're there for a month. Like, who cares? Yeah. True. Yeah. Other than other than when we record. <laughs> yeah, oh well, there's that. <laughs> but like, Ishani's with you, so you're not constantly like. Oh, is now a good time to send a text? Yeah, or right, right. A, a call or that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, there's there's times where you can travel pretty far and not, not really need a GMT. Or I should or I should bring two and wear one in each time zone. How about that? <laughs> you could do that for sure, and then give you a chance to break in the pocket watch. Yeah, put the right. pocket watch on yeah. on home time and yeah, tuck right. it into your waistband. Yeah, yeah. But maybe we should jump into the the film club. We've uh, I think it's a great it's a great uh, episode to to pre record. It's a bit timeless. So we've we've chosen some some cool movies that uh, you could watch. Uh, for the next decade if you wanted to so yeah so we haven't done a film club since episode 161 which is when we did film club volume six with my brother tim in in that one we kind of did a blended one where we each picked three movies but uh this one we're going to go back to the normal format that we've established for these so jason and i are each bringing five movies no double ups nothing we've talked about on film club before some of these you'll you'll know we've talked about on the show and others, uh, I think we kind of pulled, you know, just from movies that we've enjoyed in the last little while. They're not necessarily current movies. They're just movies that we think should be on your radar. Um, and sometimes they're very famous movies and who knows, maybe you missed them. And other times they're kind of subtle ones or older ones and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a film club and I'll find some way to share the full list of the film club in the show notes. I'm not super sure how to do that yet, but I can find some manner of doing it. Uh, if you want to see all of them, because now that we're at seven, that's quite a lot of movies. Like yeah. at this point, we're we're working on our own little Criterion collection. <laughs> you know, I mean, before we start, I mean, I I, uh, I was looking back at, at my past picks and I realized I was kind of starting to get a little predictable. I was doing a lot of like diving, climbing, spy kind of movies, uh, you know, very TGN stuff. And I thought I'm going to branch out a little bit here and kind of look at look at movies that I've I've just loved that are maybe some some films from great directors or, or big name actors, kind of those marquee films. And, and I think all but one of them here kind of hits that mark. And so the, the, where I'm going to start is, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to start with Zodiac. Um, this is, Oh yeah. This is the film from 2007, uh, directed by David Fincher. Um, all but one of mine, my picks today are from, some, some fantastic directors and, and Fincher's right up there. You know, he's, he's done such great work. I think you have a Fincher film. I do. Yeah. In your list as well. And, uh, this one's, you know, chock full of good, good acting. I mean, everybody from you know, Brian Cox is in it. Mark Ruffalo, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal is the star of this and a great Robert Downey Jr. as well. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. So it, it's about the hunt for, or the, the scenario surrounding the Zodiac killer in, uh, the San Francisco area, Northern California area, um, back in the, I guess it was the early seventies. 
and Gyllenhaal plays, uh, I don't know what you call him, a newspaper reporter. He's, I think he's like the political cartoonist or something like that, but he, he takes it upon himself to, to start tracing the, the clues and, and kind of searching and, and trying to decipher yeah. the, the cryptic notes that the Zodiac killer has been uh, providing to the papers and kind of this, this path of clues. And, and it's, it's a very unsettling film. I mean, it's so well done and, and I love kind of the, the sense of, of time and place and kind of, of that era mm-hmm. that it projects. And then, and then it's, uh, it kind of keeps you guessing. I mean, the Zodiac killer case has captivated people for a long time. I, I was trying to remember if they ever definitively found out who, who he was. And I think recently they might've gotten close, but I, I can't remember exactly how it all sorted itself out. But uh, I, I, it kind of leaves you with that jittery sort of paranoid sense yep. when you're watching this movie i think to to the credit of of fincher and um and the cast and just the way they filmed it i think it's uh just a just a superb film and and one of my favorites and I, i've gone back and watched it a few times it's been probably a couple of years now and i did revisit a couple of the movies on my list uh, last night we actually watched two to refresh my memory but this one's next on the list i gotta watch this one again fantastic yeah i, I mean fincher's fincher right like peace yeah He's just easily one of the best, and and I think you could make the case if you if you want to put your flag in the ground and say like Fincher's the best director. Yeah, I don't know that I could disagree. Like every like even just going backwards, like I really enjoyed the Mindhunter TV series. Right? Yes, he directed a series of those episodes yeah. um, through episode uh, season one and two, but like Gone Girl, an amazing film. Yeah, an excellent adaptation of a great book. Social Network won all the awards, you oh, know, sure. established a lot of people, uh, incredible music, beautifully shot. Um, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, not my favorite storyline, but you can't really fault the delivery, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a little a little fanciful for him, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you get down into Panic Room, right? That was a fight club. Yeah. Jeez. I, I mean, like, there's just a lot. There's a lot here. He did uh, the third Alien film in the early 90s. He did... Um, you know, just a lot. Like he's got ninety four director credits. Oh my gosh! Wow. And let's give give uh, all credit to Gyllenhaal as well. I mean, he he's one of those actors that just one of my favorites. He just yeah. doesn't bubble to the top when I think of big actors. But like he's done so many good movies, and he has this intensity mm-hmm. in in the roles that he plays. And and I think this is one of his better ones. Um, you see a lot of what he what he kind of figured out in this role. You see it played out to a deeper kind of darker space in um prisoners which we've which we've talked about in a past yeah uh, film club that's a, a a villeneuve that i really like where he plays in this one a cop proper a detective that's that's trying to track down two missing girls yeah and i i mean zodiac's the better film of the two um definitely the better script and and there's something really special about the color that fincher uses it crosses a lot of his movies the yellows the oranges the warm light yeah. And you see it a lot in this because it's Northern California. So, you know, a couple of the really gnarly scenes are backlit by headlights. Right. Or are, are kind of in like sun soaked, you know, mid desert spaces that are very remote and feel really creepy, especially when you have a, a killer uh, kind of moving through them. It, the, the, the tone of the film is something that's really hard to forget. It's great. Yeah. So that's my number one. I'll start strong. That's a it's a great pick for sure, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna start also with uh with my Fincher. It's one that I just rewatched. I'd watched it, you know, back in the early 2000s when it was closer to being a new movie. Uh, but this is an early Fincher from 1997. It's called The Game. This is a great movie. This is such a good movie. It's a movie that I could easily see them turning into a Netflix run, an eight series, you know, an eight episode Netflix run, or or even somebody redoing it. Although let's be clear. I don't think this movie needs to be remade in any way. <laughs> um, it's great. It's Michael Douglas and Sean Penn, and then basically every great character actor you can think of, but whose names you don't always remember. Yeah. So Deborah Kara Unger kind of plays the other, like a, a, a third lead in some way. She comes in and out of the film several times. And then there's just a ca- a literal cast of people. They are a cast in the movie, and they are a cast for the movie. Uh, and, and the concept is, is uh, uh, Douglas plays... Uh, Nicholas Van Orton, who's like a, an investment banker, um, sort of a, a, a rich San Francisco elite. Classic Douglas. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He's born to play these sorts of roles. And he's so good in this movie. Yeah. It, basically, the, the idea is his brother for his birthday, Sean Penn plays his brother. And his brother's kind of the the black sheep, you know, has a, a drug addiction problem. Clearly a guy that's like had some trouble in his life. Yeah. But that Nicholas hasn't cut out. 
And for his birthday, uh, for Nicholas's birthday, uh, his brother Conrad gets him a game. And it's this very vague, almost ominous card to go to this business and sign up for your game. Yeah. And his brother doesn't really tell him that much. It's kind of creepy, but intriguing at the same time. He goes there. It's this nondescript sort of business building with a very bland name. I'm going to try and give away as little as possible, really what you'd get from the trailer. And he signs up for this game and they basically tailor an experience, but you don't really know what it is. And and basically the, the process of this game kind of unravels his whole life. <laughs> It's a little bit like going insane. He doesn't know what's real or fake. He doesn't really know how much control he has or this company has. Maybe people are trying to kill him. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's fake. Like, can he, are, are you, am I even really talking to the cops or are they also actors in this game? It, it's this fantastic psychological thriller. Um, it's very adult. I'll put that out there. Uh, this isn't one that you're going to watch with your kids. But if you haven't seen it and, and any of that sounds interesting, it's this really oppressive sort of you're on you're on Michael's team throughout the whole thing but you can't tell if he's making good decisions or bad decisions and you can't also tell who's in on it and who isn't huh yeah and and I don't know that you'd be able to predict the ending I, I'm a huge fan of this movie it's super fun yeah but in a Fincher way like where it's <laughs> a lot of it shot in the dark and it's scary yeah. and 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 there's points in the movie that feel very hopeless and kind of dialed up to the point of like loose insanity and and i like i like it kind of wall to wall yeah i mean as you were as you were recounting the the plot it was starting to kind of come back to me i hadn't remembered this movie um other than a a lot of michael douglas movies kind of blend together in my mind (laughs) oh um but yeah i this is another one i need to rewatch. but uh, i do remember really enjoying this when it came out and this was Gosh, I think this predates uh, zodiac by a decade i think or thereabouts close maybe zodiac was 2007 yeah so 10 years or earlier yeah so it's a decade and then so this is the movie that fincher made after seven kind of blew everyone out of the water yeah so this movie is not uh, the game is not as challenging as seven yeah Uh, i think in some ways it's aged better than seven there's some stuff in seven then you're like how did they put this in a movie even an r-rated film yeah and then put it in theaters and people and people didn't revolt at a certain point the game is not quite as gnarly uh, it doesn't doesn't dip so deeply into like the world of a serial killer. Yeah, uh, it, it really at all. Um, but it, there's because even from the name, the game, like you're allowed to enjoy what's happening to Douglas, even if it seems like how is he going to get out of this? When is it going to end? When are they going to all like uh, just joking? It's the game, I'm kidding. It's the game, <laughs> right? Like it, it just keeps amping up and up, and you're like, well, man, is, is this even a game? And there's this whole conspiracy that runs through the whole thing. Yeah, I like it. This is a yeah. fun movie. Yeah, good pick. Jeez, Fincher, Fincher, uh, a Fincher double play to start. Exactly. Yeah. So, so my uh, my second one's another strong pick from another really strong director who does very unique films. Uh, this is Memento uh, by uh, directed oh, yeah. by Christopher Nolan, who went on to do obviously Batman and and Inception and Tenet and you know just a slew of other very challenging plot line movies mm-hmm. and I, I i haven't gone into to nolan's background to see kind of what predated this but this had to be one of his early ones i think his only other feature length before this is the following oh okay the other thing that stood out with this movie so this is from 2000 and it's it's a real mind bender because you're you're seeing this movie through the eyes of its protagonist played by guy pierce who is just superb in this role and um it's someone who the concept is fascinating. He's he's lost the ability to create short-term memories. So he remembers things from his past, but not his immediate past. So he he might see somebody at a restaurant, um, and then you know three minutes later, like go to the restroom and come back out and and see the same person again, and it'll be completely new to him. And so he has to overcome this by you know taking Polaroids. This is this is pre pre-smartphone days of course so he's he carries around a polaroid camera and he has to take photos of everything and everybody and and make little notes to himself and write things down all the time otherwise he'll forget where he's staying what room he was in um and then people take advantage of him because of this and the the whole concept is he's trying to unravel uh this horrible crime in which his wife was murdered and he only remembers bits and pieces and and he has this kind of half-baked police report that he's using to 
to to carry out his own investigation, even though he's not a cop himself. And uh, and because it's told through his point of view, it's the movie itself is very unsettling and it's very disorienting. So you're watching a scene, and then the scene will be replayed yeah. later to explain how he got to the previous scene, and it's just it's it's just a nutty crazy movie and it it just for me it almost foretells where nolan was headed with so many of his other movies and kind of his yeah especially yeah yeah and i think it's interesting because this movie i've only ever seen it maybe a couple times and it was right when it came out so this was a long time ago right and um yeah yeah i remember it doesn't have his style yet yeah it's a little bit brighter than a lot of his movies are but it has all of the rest of it it's it is this meticulous Patient, and then if I the other thing I remember is one I remember watching this movie and finishing it and being gobsmacked. Yep, I'd never yep. seen anything like this. Yeah, I couldn't wrap my head around about half of it, <laughs> and so little of it. Like in Tenant, they they need some special effects to tell you the timeline stuff. Yeah, there's no special effects in this movie. Like right. there's some there's some special there's some via like like stuff for fake fights and blood and stuff. But like sure, there's no like portals and time travel and that kind of stuff. Like. Yeah, it's a theater of his mind, and his mind is broken. Yeah, and yeah. you, he, when he believes he knows a universal truth, he tattoos it on his body. Yeah, which is an insane thing to behold when he, when you, when certain things start to crumble around him. Who he can trust, who he can't trust, who might be his friend, who's actually responsible for some of the things that have happened to him. And then I, I do remember way back when you would rent a DVD, uh, the DVD that came with this included a second disc. That had the movie in linear order. No way. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you watch that and it's a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. So you finish it the first time and you go like, I don't really, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? What? And then you put on this other one and you're like, oh, this is a pretty straightforward movie of, and I'm I'm not going to finish that sentence because it'll give away kind of the, the crux of the film. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to do the linear version, if if you're that into into the filmmaking, yeah, it's it's pretty special. Yeah. This is a very cool movie. I've never seen one like it to the day. You know, this is kind of like if you've ever seen um, Primer, which was a, a time travel movie from a while back, probably around 2000. Huh. Even then, like now, I watch a time any other movies that have time travel in them, and I go like, but Primer did it better. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so there's a, this is a great one, great pick. This is a movie I haven't thought about in a decade, I bet. Uh, you know, I had neither, although it always comes up because it was uh, it was a movie that I saw, I think, with Kashani when in our very early days of knowing each other. And and it always comes up. We always say, always say oh, that's, you know, it reminds me of Memento or, or you mm-hmm. know, it always just sort of pops up as this sort of milestone. And finally, uh, as I said, I mean, last night, we literally watched it last night because I was like, I want to add this to the list because it's such a strong movie from my memory, but I just don't remember the plot specifically. So it was so good to to rewatch this film and it really holds up. It's really a, oh, great. a good one. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. Yeah. What a thing. Yeah. If you haven't seen Memento, that one yeah. might be the front runner for like, yeah. you've not seen a movie like Memento. It's yeah. cool because there's, and now so many movies have kind of ripped on the idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. But to take amnesia and take it out of the realm of like corny soap opera stuff. Right. And make it this thing that, that is essentially the mechanic of the film. Yeah. Nolan's so talented and he's made such a wide swath of films since then. Yeah. Uh, but I think this one really speaks to just how dialed he was. I believe the um, the screenplay was also written by his brother. I was wondering that. Yeah, Jonathan Nolan. If I remember said, correctly. And yeah. I know that Christopher Nolan works with his wife a lot as well. Huh. Um, and, and I think you can see it in the work. Like he's surrounded by people who are on the same page. Yeah. And he's not fighting with screenwriters or producers or like like when you have a team like that, you can really turn out kind of an endless run of hits. Like I don't, I don't love all the movies, but I also can't fault any of them really. Right. Like the right. tenant was the only one where I really watched it the first time and I didn't even know yeah. if I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. The second time was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another tough movie uh, yeah. to, to, to wrap your head around. That's a great one. Good pick. Yeah. That takes me way back. <laughs> all right. You've got some old ones here. I do, yeah. I'm going to go with the older one. Uh, this is a movie I think I've actually talked about it on the show. I went for a real... Also, we almost can't do... Although I think we're coming up near the end, but it's hard to do a, a film club without a Michael Mann. <laughs> uh, I'm such a fan. And this is Michael Mann, I think his first feature length. He might have done a... Um, he definitely did like a sports documentary before this. Huh. But this is Thief from 1981. Um, stars James Caan. Uh, Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, 
and like some people who had never like I believe Robert Prosky had never acted in a movie before. I might have that wrong, huh. but like he delivers this incredible role. Uh, Jim Belushi's in it. Jeez. Um, Dennis Farina is in it. Uh, so there's a lot of like, oh, I know that guy. And obviously like James Caan has become a, oh, I know that guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This is a guy that would later be in, you know, the the dad and Elf and, right. and star right. in major TV shows. Like he's had a great, a big career. Yeah. But this movie is, it's so deeply Michael Mann. There's shots in this movie that he, you know, this is 81. So this is film. It's at night. It's in Chicago. And of course he eventually develops his at night in LA sort of persona yeah. that you see throughout big pieces of heat and an entire movie called collateral, both past film club picks. This is an incredible movie. You know, some of the reads are weird. The, the, the quality of the film of the like film itself makes it feel maybe even older than 1981 at times. Huh. But the set building and the the scenarios and and then the, you know, this is a very Michael Mann thing to do, but the painstaking level that they went to make the the robberies real. So he's a safe cracker. Huh. And at one point, I don't it's it's so hard. I get so excited I don't want to give anything away just because I enjoyed it a lot. But you basically watch um as they're using like Michael Mann found actual guys who were either previously incarcerated and were out or were still actively working as very high-end robbers and use their equipment and their techniques. And, and so like, you know, there's, there's some wild stuff in here that we're not just using drills and, and turning little tumblers really carefully. Like they're cutting doors in half with thermite rods and, <laughs> and really wild stuff. And, and I, I've never seen it. This is another one where like, I've never seen a movie quite like thief. It's a little weird. It, it's just, just old enough to feel special old, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, um, and Khan's really good in it. It's really easy to watch, and it has this um, style and kind of bravado that's partly Michael Mann and partly James Caan, and I think they come together, you know, and, and typically he loved using, or loves using a, the leading man at the time, right? Yeah, right. In his movies, and I think whether that's a Tom Cruise, a De Niro, a Pacino, a Val Kilmer, you know, you could go on for a long time, but I think that he really started something with this one. This is his memento in some ways, right? Like huh. it, it kind yeah. of set up his career path. And if you're a, if you enjoy, um, if you enjoy Michael Mann's stuff and, and especially some of his earlier stuff, whether that be something more like heat, which came out 14 years later, um, or even back into Manhunter, which is another one that I absolutely adore. Uh, and then I think thief is kind of where it kicked off. And I, I think it's a winner. Huh. That's cool. I, I, I've never heard of this movie. Uh, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. I, I like James Caan. He's one of those yeah. guys that you know. You said, "Oh, I know that guy." I mean, he's mm-hmm. nowadays he's he's the ultimate. I know that guy. Guy, you know. Um, back in the '70s, I mean, he was the Godfather, right? I mean, he was he was Huge. a big 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 name, but he kind of faded away from that. And and mm-hmm. this is this is clearly like right in his prime, early '80s. So. And, and just I'm just throwing this out there. If you if you go to the show notes and you click on the IMDb link for Thief, it has one of my all time favorite movie posters. It could be framed the, as a piece of art, like the welding goggles. The, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Oh, this movie's cool. super fun. I'm gonna re- rewatch this movie sometime. That is soon. cool. This is great. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's my second pick. All right. What do you got? All right, I'm on to my third pick, and this one is another great director, um, Sam Mendes. This is Road to Perdition. Uh, just like tour de force, really, really strong movie with, with just such a mega cast in this movie. There's just, you, you name it. They're in this movie. Um, this is, it's, it's, it's a gangster movie sort of, um, Mm -hmm. well, squarely it is, but it's, it's, you know, Tom Hanks is a lead character in a gangster movie. tells you kind of half of what you need to know in this movie. It's just like, it's, he kind of plays the, the honorable guy he's a father um but he's a he's a gangster and he's kind of wrapped up with you know some some bad dudes and and bad deeds and and uh and you've got daniel craig in this movie and huge you've got paul newman yep um jude laws in this movie i mean it's just it's like a who's who and and it's beautifully shot it's very moody (laughs) Yeah, yeah i mean he plays this like ultimate sort of villain character and uh yeah, this is like another one of those movies that I need to rewatch. It was, um, it's it's been such a long time, and I looked at the date of this thing, and I didn't realize it was this old. I mean, it's from two thousand two, so this is a twenty year old film, kind of along the same era as Memento, and it's probably been almost as long since I've seen it. But 
it it just keeps coming up. It just keeps coming up as one of those great films. And and this is this is four years before Daniel Craig made it big as as Bond and Casino Royale, and he's got a really strong role in this movie as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know the, the the way it's shot too. I mean, Mendes is a is a tremendous director. He's got a real sense of kind of mood and and ambiance, and and there's a lot of kind of scenes in like in weather, you know, like snow and rain and darkness and uh, just just really really well done and it's a period piece i mean we're we're talking 1930s in like the chicago area and uh and so you got old cars and uh just it's it's a lot to sink your teeth into i, I just love this movie yeah and and you know a few things i would say about this movie one i don't like mob movies yeah it's yeah, like it's like one of the biggest genre of movies that like i don't have time for yeah. i've seen casino i've seen goodfellas i don't really want to see them again i'm not a big godfather fan i know that 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 upsets people yeah um, they're, they're all so similar. And then this one for me, they did something special. This is the same cinematographer. His name's Conrad L. Hall, who did, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid oh, okay. and American Beauty and has done some, some like really, really, really incredible movies. So this movie looks great. Yeah. Um, and, and he might've been the director of photography on some of those, uh, which he was for American Beauty and for Road to Perdition. He was also a uh, cinematographer and DOP. So it's it's a great looking movie. I think that I think it's really impressive what they get out of Tom Hanks in this one because you see him, his whole persona, both in a lot of movies and in normal life, is just as like a regular nice guy <laughs> who's also talented and, and charismatic and all of that. And in this, they maintain all of that and then they yeah. add this edge. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know if it's you know the movies you mentioned were all kind of Italian mob East Coast stuff, and this is this is so. Irish mob, Chicago or Illinois based. And, and it's just, uh, it just, it's that much different. And I don't think it's the focus to me wasn't so much about mob bad guys. It was, it was this child father family. It was really yeah. f- kind of, there's the family tension in this movie, you know, even mm-hmm. Paul Newman and his sons. And it's just, it has that, that, that real human element to it that I, I think really works. So man, thief and road to perdition. we got two and two, two Chicago mob adjacent movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, strong directors here. What we got? Michael Mann, and we've got you know Fincher. We've got Fincher, Mendes, yeah, yeah, Nolan, some great ones. What are you, what are you going to follow that up with? Hmm. Well, I've, I'm going to put my what I think is kind of the most fun movie on my list right here in the middle, and it's um it's from 2019. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. It's called Jojo Rabbit. Nope. This is uh directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, he also plays one of the main characters, and this would be the one of my five where I said like. Almost ignore what I'm going to say about it because I don't know how to sell you on this movie. It's such a weird thing. <laughs> it was up for Oscars. It may have won some. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't follow the Oscars that carefully. You know, it, it holds a, a very strong rating. It is a great movie, but it is a weird premise of a, a young boy um, who's in the Hitler Youth during World War II. His hero is an imaginary friend that is Adolf Hitler, played by Waititi. Wow. And it's like insanely funny. And this boy is shocked when he finds out that his mother, who's played by uh, Scarlett Johansson, is harboring uh, a young Jewish girl in a crawl space in their home. Wow. And it's all about this boy learning about what this world that he lives for, the the Nazi party and the rest of it, what it's actually about and how inaccurate all of these weird statements are. And him, his internal dialogue is with a sort of joke, hilarious version of Hitler. Huh. It's such a strange movie to try and explain <laughs> to somebody. I remember the first time someone was like, oh, it's about a, a boy who's in the Nazi party. And you're like, oh, this sounds really depressing. I don't know if I'm, a, I'm on board. And they're like, well, it's a comedy. And you're like, huh. like a comedy in the same way that like springtime for Hitler was a comedy. Like, I don't really, what, 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 what are we getting into? Check out the trailer if you don't know this movie. If you haven't seen it since 2019, it's, it's worth a rewatch. It's super funny, uh, really poignant. Um, has a couple like genuinely hilarious performances. If you've seen any of Waititi's movies, I think you'll know exactly the tone. Even if it's just like the the Thor one that he did, or maybe he's done two Thor movies, I'm not sure. But if you've seen Hunt for the Wilder People, same guy, same tone, hilarious but thoughtful and sort of heartwarming and um, and, and deals with things like life and death and pain and grief. And I haven't seen it. You know, I saw it a couple times when it first came out, you know, 19, 20 um, but I haven't seen it in a little while, and, and it's it's one I remember really, really enjoying. Sam Rockwell, great performance by him. It, it's just wall-to-wall, like a lot of fun. Huh. I, I remember when it came out, and I remember when it was up for Oscars. It it, it garnered some 
controversy, if I recall, and I don't remember why. I don't know if it was the the Nazi angle or kind of you know making Hitler a humorous character or something, but it was objected to by a number of people, and I I, I just never got around to watching it. But uh, yeah, your recommendation is strong, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and if it's if it's the sort of thing that ends up offending somebody, I apologize if I miss some controversy with the film or whatever. A lot of great performances and and uh, a, a very funny uh, movie at times as well. All right, my next one is. A Most Wanted Man. This is from 2014. Uh, strong cast. And the director of this one was Anton Corbin, who, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he was better known as a photographer, uh, at least before this film. He had shot a couple of the U2 album covers. I think he shot the Joshua Tree album cover, if you know that okay. that image. Um, very stark, black and white, a lot of times. Uh not this film. This film's got a lot of color in it. Kind of moody, though. A lot of music videos in his in his filmography. Yeah, cool. and it's based on a novel by John Le Carre. So right there, you know, really strong story, uh, strong kind of visual oriented director, um, and then the cast. You've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, Rachel McAdams, uh, Willem Dafoe plays a big role in this movie. Wow. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, who you might know from Rush, he played uh, Nicky Lauda. Oh, sure. Yeah, he's excellent. Uh, he has kind of a s- smaller role in this one. Robin Wright is in it. It's very Le Carre uh, story-wise, not quite, you know, Tinker Taylor, soldier spy caliber story, I would say, but it's uh, it's in that same vein. It's This is not Cold War, though. This is post 9-11 uh, kind of hunt for terrorists in this time set in Hamburg, Germany. And I guess if I had one critique of this movie, it's kind of a critique I have of a lot of shows and movies uh, in general, and that is, you know, nowadays we're getting used to to watching, you know, movies with subtitles or with, you know, actors from the countries in which the, the films are being set. And and in this one, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's the, the lead character, he plays a, a German uh, intelligence officer and, and Willem Dafoe is a German banker. And it, it always kind of sets me a little bit off if, if like they're doing accents and it's like, why didn't you just get, you know, German actors to do this? But setting that aside, the story is, is very good. It's got a really interesting twist at the end, really nicely shot. And, you know, if you like a good spy film, you know, which I do, of course, um, this one, this one's a really kind of a, a, a thinking man spy film. It's not a, not a James Bond kind of spy film. So yeah, yeah I this, haven't this, seen this. this. A good one. Yeah. Um, it's good. But I know that this is the same guy that did um, the American Yes. Which yes. is kind of this quiet, patient. I, yes. I've never really known if it's a great movie or just an okay movie with a few great scenes. <laughs> um, I think it's. I think it might be a, a, an okay movie with a few great scenes, but George Clooney playing sort of a, a James Bond without any of the hype, this kind of quiet, yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, uh, assassin spy sort of guy. Right. Uh, so I, I'd be keen to see this. A most wanted man. I, man, do I miss... Uh, movies with with uh, philip seymour hoffman he's tremendous in this movie he's very he's good so he's good what he projects talent. this very and maybe it's looking at him retrospectively um given that he's died a few years ago but you know he 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 projects this image of this very unhealthy man you know who just mm. he doesn't care much about his own physique or health or lifestyle he's just kind of driven to do his job and he's every scene he's got a cigarette in his mouth and he's always you know <laughs> taking a flask of whiskey to put in his coffee and that sort of thing, yeah. you know, kind of hard boiled investigator. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. I, I highly recommend this one. Yeah. His son, it, it, you know, now, now we've, we're starting to see what his son's capable of with licorice pizza. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and he's, it's, it, that's going to be, I hope, I hope he, I hope he decides to be an actor if he enjoys it. Right. And, and huh. go that route. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. But yeah, Philip Sumer Hoffman, anything from, yeah, anything I can think of, I enjoyed. Right. Yeah. For me, I'll always think of you know his role as the as the sort of you know overly sensitive uh, guy from um, Almost Famous, the radio you know famous uh, cream writer that didn't like most things and or why music was changing. Oh yeah, um, Capote. I mean, he, that was the one. I yeah, Capote. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, there's another great one with um I think with Marissa Tomei called uh, Only the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh sure. Um, which was a a, a pretty good. Uh, if somewhat disturbing sort of movie as well. Uh, he, he had a lot of great performances yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sad, sad to sad to have him gone, look back at his work. Yeah. All right. What am I up to? Four. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to go with 1994's Clear and Present Danger. <laughs> this is so, so great. <laughs> yeah. So I recently, uh, we've talked about this. I recently went through that like dad thriller list. Yep. 
and my wife and I agreed after watching a ton of these movies that either this, Clear and Present Danger, or Harrison Ford's other Jack Ryan one called um, Patriot Games were kind of the peak. Like, I think Hunt for Red October for me is way up there. Yeah. Um, it's just, but it's that, that is such a, a submarine movie. Right, right. Whereas what they did here is they had a mix of like an action movie and a thriller and, and this sort of um, family man element. It, it all kind of wraps up in one. Uh, this is another Philip Noyce. Uh, it's obviously based on a, a, a Tom Clancy novel. And in, um, in this one, CIA analyst, I love that, Jack Ryan is drawn <laughs> into an illegal war fought by the U.S. against a Colombian drug cartel. So, you know, they're they're breaking laws, they're going down there, there's there's some, you know, high-end weaponry, fancy rockets and missiles and all this kind of stuff, and some really great performances. That's another Willem Dafoe. Joaquin de Almeida uh, plays a, an incredible, a great role. Uh, Henry Cerny is in here. Uh, there's, there's so many, like, you know, the movie's just kind of wall-to-wall, full of some of my favorite Oh, that guy, right? Like yep. Benjamin yep. Bratt, yep. Raymond Cruz. You see Raymond Cruz in anything and you're pumped. Yeah. And you may not know his name, but you'll know his face. Yeah. Uh, he's in some very memorable scenes from some great movies. James Earl Jones, sign me up for any movie with him. Right? And Archer. I mean, she's she's like peak 90s. I mean, right alongside Harrison Ford. No, I highly recommend this one. It's a little bit more pulpy. You know, there's a lot of um, mid-90s sort of shooting a thousand rounds and not hitting anything, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but um, it, it doesn't make it any less watchable. And it, and it takes you through these various settings. They move around a lot in these Jack Ryan movies. Yeah. And and the South American theater, I think, is is fantastic. Uh, against a drug cartel, that, that whole concept has aged really well. Um, and and I th- it's peak Harrison Ford for me. Like maybe maybe the fugitive's better, sure. But I don't I don't want I don't want a world in which I have to pick between the fugitive and his Jack Ryan films. I like them both so much. I mean, Har- Harrison Ford is such a hero. I mean, he's like oh yeah, he's he's I don't know. He he's just such a hero in every respect. I mean, his run of movies, he was kind of like mm-hmm. and maybe this is a really bad comparison. He's like the Phil Collins of of movies in the nineties. I mean, everything he did was turned to gold, and he was he was just so good at it. It was mm-hmm. like. Well, I mean, look at this. Start. Let's start in 1989, right? So that's Last Crusade, which could have been, you know, he'd done Temple of Doom. Yeah. He'd done Return of the Jedi by this point and uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner. This was all behind him. Yeah. He could, his career could have been over here. Yeah. If he'd wanted it to or if, or if he had made a bad decision. Instead, yeah. you've got uh, Last Crusade, Presumed Innocent, Patriot Games, The Fugitive, Air Force One, Six Days, Seven Nights, uh, What Lies Beneath, and then he like K nineteen Widowmaker like the, another you know that was in the in the vein of an, another submarine movie, uh, like just a decade of like movies that people are still watching. Yeah, yeah, impressive. And then I could I'm still scrolling up. He's got eighty three credits. <laughs> Apparently they're doing post production on Indiana Jones five. Why not? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's great in twenty forty nine. Another another one that we've had on on uh, on film club before. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of this one. And and if you if you don't love if you watch this one and you don't love the trailer, make sure you check out the trailer for Patriot Games. They they just work together. Yeah, and who doesn't like a Sean Bean IRA thriller? Oh, I love right? that movie. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, it always kind of felt like a soft extension for me, or or a a, a, a sequel in some ways of um, Ronan. Mm-hmm. I know that he that that doesn't work for Sean Bean because Sean Bean does what he does in every movie he dies <laughs> um, in, in both of those films. But uh, it just that, that same sort of spirit. Uh, I think Ronan we've we've talked about on a past yeah. one that might have been a, a pretty early pick. Another fantastic. Uh, yeah, a fantastic film. But that's that's my fourth clear and present danger. 1994. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's a win. All right. Well, I'm going to finish with a really oddball one. This is out of left field. This is a. Uh... This is not from a, a great director, um, and there are no actors in it that I recognized. Uh, this is a, a, a small film. I believe it was an Australian-made movie um, called The Reef. And it's really funny because if you look at the movie poster, you watch the trailer, you read anything about it, it's 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 uh, categorized as a horror film. And they really played that up with all of the the, the promotional materials around it. It is... I would not have called this a horror film. There's a shark involved. There's some uh, open water swimming. Um, but I, I, it's just wasn't a horror film to me. It was it was almost like something you could set on in a stage play. It, it's about a, a small group of, of friends that uh, is is out in a sailboat. I believe they're delivering a sailboat, like from one place to another. And okay, a couple are along for the ride to kind of help out with this. And the boat hits. Uh, hits an underwater reef and and splits and starts to take on water and capsizes. And they're, 
they're kind of trapped sitting on the hull of this boat, uh, out of reach of any help or any nearby help and, and really no way to contact anybody. And it's this dilemma of these, I think it's four people that are just sitting on the upturned hull of a boat trying to decide what to do. And, you know, as luck would have it, uh, they are being kind of stalked or surrounded by a, a shark or, or sharks. Um, and it, so it, it presents this dilemma of like, do you stay on the hull and wait to be rescued or do you swim for it? Or how do you right. get out of this scenario, taking the risks that are obvious by the fin that keeps popping up out of the water? <laughs> but each person's decision and kind of the way they each deal with the stress uh, and the scenario and kind of deal with each other, I, I've, I found much more of a kind of a human relationship kind of film. And like I said, it, it could almost be a stage play because it's, there isn't a lot of moving around, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a boat, a very small space and I'm not going to give anything away because, you know, certainly uh, there is some, some blood curdling screams and bloodshed and that sort of thing, but you know, carnage, yeah, (laughs) carnage, but uh, yeah, it was a good movie. And I I think there was another film, a follow-up movie. Maybe I'll have to add that to a future film club, but I think it was kind of a follow-up to this that was set in like some mangrove swamps and involved crocodiles or something like that. But it was like, it was so miscast as this horror film. And and I remember watching it, you know, one night when know, Gashani was out of town and it was kind of like, Hey, what's this? And, and really enjoying it. So yeah, check it out. It's been, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, Andrew Trocky or Trauki is the director. Never heard of him. He also wrote it. And there's only like four stars in the movie. It's from 2010. Yeah. Rated R probably for some gore and, and that sort of thing, but uh, foul language or something. But uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, check it out. It's a it's a fun movie. I mean, it's not the caliber of a Memento or a Zodiac, but it's uh, right. It's not uh, not as the uh, as the movie poster would would indicate. So if you if you run across this one and you're like, huh, what's this one about? Well, give it a, give it a go. Well, yeah, fair enough. I, I know I've seen. I haven't seen this, The Reef, yeah. but I know I've seen. I think it's called The Shallows. And I've seen another one. Uh, open that. Water was kind of a famous one. Yep, yep. I was going to do Open Water, I think, yeah, which was good. Good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Open Water being pretty actually just like hard to watch. It was that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw one, another weird one that was about, the title was The Depth of How Deep They Were. They were stuck in a cage, a shark cage oh, at depth. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, here it is, 47 meters down. Oh, it was just sure. down the page. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of dubious sort of science happening in that one. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> this looks cool. I could see this. I, I and I like that that it looks like it's presented sort of like an indie film. So like you, yeah. you kind of take it take it for what it is. Um and if the performances are good and believable, then yeah, why not? And as long as the special effects for the sharks yeah. are yeah. acceptable and, and according to the did you know element of um IMDB, the sharks are real. Yeah. Um, uh, mostly filmed in uh, South Australia. Yeah. So that's pr- pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. A good one to add and another one I haven't seen. That's cool. Yeah. The Reef. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna close out my five with a uh, with a movie that I loved, and then I found out yesterday that you and Gashani really didn't. So I, I'm <laughs> I'm going I'm going last on this one, and and who knows? Maybe this is the gamble. Yeah. Maybe I've lost my mind. I don't know. It's called <laughs> Pig. Uh, I believe we've talked about it on a past episode, um, or maybe you and I just spoke about it before you had seen it. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is a um this is a 2021 film by uh, Michael uh, Sarnaski and it uh, stars Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, Adam Arkin. It's uh, I, I like I said, I really enjoyed this movie. It kind of opens in a Dick Prennicky fashion. Nick Cage plays a guy who's clearly running from something and has settled in the woods outside of Portland. And, um, and he lives with a, a truffle pig that helps him find truffles. It's how he finances his life. A person shows up, buys his truffles, brings him some stuff and leaves. And he lives alone in the woods and seems quite content doing so. He's clearly grieving um, someone you believe to be his wife. Uh, uh, he's playing old recordings, uh, you know, on a battery-powered tape deck, and otherwise lives a very remote sort of um, disconnected uh, lifestyle. And then, uh, you, and this is all in the trailer. And, and I would actually say the trailer, in many ways, let this movie down. It, the trailer and the the poster really kind of set this up as being like a John Wick, like somebody took the pig and. Nicholas Cage, you know, remembers his training from the military and goes and gets his pig back. Um, and, it, and, and it wasn't even remotely like that. Um, somebody does steal the pig. Somebody in the Portland like food scene uh, that wants more truffles steals his pig. And it, it's about Nick Cage kind of deciding to re-enter this world that he had run away from years before following a tragedy. And in that process, he um, he he has to address 
many things that he kind of left behind when he left the world. And uh, there's, it's not a perfect movie. Jason, uh, when we were chatting about it yesterday, you brought up a fight sequence. And I think any editor that maybe didn't feel strongly about, that didn't, you know, like it had some distance would have cut that scene. It didn't make any sense to the to the greater film. So if you get that far, please don't quit at that scene because the movie really becomes this warm, um, sort of emotionally challenging thing after that. Um, but it is opaque at times. It's a little bit challenging. Uh, you know, I'm a huge Nick Cage fan. Uh, when he's good, he's as good as anyone. Um, but he's he's not always good. I think he's great in this. Um, and I, I, the story, when it when it starts to really link into tragedy and dealing with pain and trying to run from your problems and, and then having to go back and address them and, and see these sorts of things all surrounding essentially the food scene in Portland, the restaurant tour scene in Portland. Uh, I, it was just a movie I hadn't really seen before. Uh, I, I like, like I said, I like, I like a good Nick Cage performance, but um, I don't know, Jason, give, give people the other side of the story. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never been a big Nick Cage fan, so it took some okay. persuading. I think I would... If I saw Nick Cage, uh, you know, in, in the list of actors for a film, I probably would. I mean, it's strong to say, but I would probably skip it based on that because I've never really liked oh, really? any of his movies. But it, on your recommendation, we watched it. And and then and it, you didn't like it. it <laughs> <laughs> well, then it got to that. At all. It got to that fight scene and and it went. It, it was like we were already a little bit like, OK, I I get this. But but then I think that unraveled it for us. And I think it was like. I guess if you can sit through past that, I think the relationship between Cage's character and the, um, I guess it's Amir, right? The, the, uh, yeah. Alex Wolf. Yeah. The young man that's driving him around Portland. Yeah. 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 I thought that was strong. Um, I, I, I thought it was a movie that had some good scenes in it, but overall, um, and, and it can oftentimes come down with films to kind of the mood in which you watch it. And it, sure. it seemed a bit of a downer. Um, Oh, the movie is a downer. Yeah. That's a that's a fair call. Yeah, yeah. I like I like songs in a minor key. I don't mind a downer <laughs> of a movie. You know what I mean? I don't usually either, but I think you combine that with Nick Cage and then the inexplicable fight scene, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm lost. Oh here. man, I should I should give you a little list of like genuinely like not challenging, just genuinely great Nick Cage performances. Adaptation, Matchstick Men, Moonstruck. Uh, he's like he's done some he's done some real stuff. You know, uh, Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, Arizona was it? Uh, was oh yeah, uh, Finding Arizona, yeah, so, something so, like that. Something a, Arizona, or very early yeah. film of his. Yeah, I remember that being good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So maybe you'll like Pig. Maybe you won't. Watch the trailer. I think the trailer lets it down. It's not an action movie. Um, like I said, <laughs> aside from that one fight scene, it's actually a pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. S- sort of indie style film that hits on these special moments. I don't think the whole movie special, but these moments really made it something for me. Yeah. Um, and I like Nick Cage out in the woods or I like anyone out in the woods with a truffle pig. Like, that seems like an interesting <laughs> lifestyle, right? Kind of Dick Pernicky adjacent. Yeah. Dick Pernicky could be with a friend. Right. And, um, and you know, Adam Arkin is amazing in everything you see him in. And, uh, he plays, uh, a kind of pivotal character in the third act of the movie Yeah, who you, you, it's one of these pr- people that seems like a, an enemy at first. And mm-hmm. then there's some common ground. Um, it's just a movie wasn't at all what I expected, I guess. Yeah. Um, is, is why I enjoyed it. And, um, I've seen a couple of the recent stuff from Nick Cage, uh, and, and, and I enjoyed not all of it. Certainly, um, escape from ghost town, I think is what it's called. That one you can skip in my world, <laughs> but I, I think pig was cool. I, I don't think it, you know, they're not going to win Oscars for it, that sort of thing. Uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't not recommend it. Like I wouldn't say it's a terrible movie. I just, it wasn't a favorite of ours and, and. Certainly, uh, I think part of film club is to present some challenging ones here. I mean, the reef isn't one that a lot of people might like either. So, you know, yeah. we've got to throw, we can't, we can't be all, uh, Nolans and Finchers and, and yeah. Michael Mann's. Well, so. I mean, and, and you, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared for, I'm sure there's people in the audience that w- are not going to align with Jojo Rabbit's sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's our, that's our 10. Jason picked 2007 Zodiac, 2002's Road to Perdition, 2010's The Reef. 2014's A Most Wanted Man and the wonderful 2000 Memento. And I have 1997's The Game, 2021's Pig, 1994's Clear and Present Danger, 2019's Jojo Rabbit, and 1981's Thief. Jason, I think if no one, if, if someone hasn't seen any of these movies, Memento's probably the pick, I think. It, it, it might be. I mean, having just watched it last night, I'm, I'm still kind of buzzing from it. It's, uh, it's a good one. 
Yeah. I mean, there's some really good ones in here. I, I need to go back and rewatch. Yeah. Uh, you should uh, check out the game. Clear and pe- Present Danger and also Thief. Oh, Clear and Present Danger. I mean, yeah. But Thief is great. Yeah. Yeah. There's some really good ones here. There's a few I haven't seen, which which always makes me happy. So that's uh, that's Film Club Volume 7. Nice. Find a link to all of these uh, movies in the show notes, of course. And if you have any feedback, if you want to uh, suggest movies for Film Club 8 or even just to the audience, get in the show notes. Get in the comments. Uh, drop us in. Let's let's uh, we can we can vote with our likes and uh, and have a chat about movies and that kind of stuff. I'd be thrilled to. But yeah, this is a this is that time of year. I think where we'll, we'll all start watching fewer movies. But now at least if you've got a, a free evening and uh, it's raining outside or something like that, you've got a list to uh, to kind of pick at. Yeah, yeah. This one's ripe for comments. I can't wait to read what uh, what the listeners think. This is a different spread than we normally do. Yeah, I agree. Between some some of the weirder picks and then some of the the more uh, predictable ones yeah, as well. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see if people enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, how about some final notes? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was turned on to a, a a vinyl music marketplace called Discogs, D I S C O G S dot com, uh, as a good source to buy uh, vinyl. I've been kind of slowly rebuilding my vinyl record collection. Oh, nice. A friend of mine, actually, the guy who we're cat sitting for right now. Um, now a month ago, uh, he, he kind of told me about this and cause we, I was playing some records while he and his wife were over here for dinner and he said, Oh, have you ever heard of Discogs? And I said, no. And so he turned me onto it and I signed up for an account. It's kind of like a low budget sort of eBay style or Craigslist. Well, not Craigslist. It's sort of an eBay style marketplace where you, you don't bid on stuff, but you can, you can search by title and by format and where in the world you want to buy from. And, um, condition right for anything i mean it's not just vinyl i think you can buy uh cds or you know other media as well but um i i so far i've i signed up i created an account and i kind of searched for something and found it and found a number of examples of it i bought a, a 12 inch promotional single that was created by a band called propeller heads okay of on Her Majesty's Secret Service, they did the sort of techno, updated version of that soundtrack with the the composer David Arnold, and it was a twelve inch promotional single that had a a, a B side that was a different version of it, mm-hmm. and I just wanted it, and it was cheap, and it shipped really quickly. It came from the, a seller in the Netherlands. The review system that they use for you know, uh, the seller and and buyers and kind of members is is reassuring, and then the the they have quality ratings that are very uh, strictly defined in terms of, you know, do you want, you know, what, what are you willing to accept versus, you know, what you want to pay for something? And, um, you know, it arrived well packaged. And, um, so it's, it's just this, this nice community of, of buyers and sellers of, of vinyl music. And, you know, if you're looking for, you know, to kind of build up your LP collection and you don't want to kind of wade through local record swaps and you just want something, uh, it's a good, good place to look. So, very cool. Yeah, check it out. It's a little clunky, like the interface, like to sign up for the account was like I had to go through a bunch of steps and kind of redo stuff because it was a little bit kind of felt a little bit uh, outdated. But once I once I got into the system, it's uh, it's great. So check it out. Super. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, my my brothers are, are bigger fans of vinyl than I am. I, I really find that um, that's not the way that I like link up with listening to music. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think we've talked about it on the show before. I went through several phases throughout the pandemic of upping my um, audio game and I'm kind of at a point where I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. And, and weirdly, like it's only a couple of times a week where I want to sit down and listen to an album and, and, and can do so in a vacuum, um, you know, without, without any interruption. And then half the time it, you, you go like, oh, I would like to go listen to whatever. And then you realize, oh, it's 10 o'clock and I can't listen to it at any volume <laughs> units above and below me in an old home in Toronto. So you, you do have to be kind of cognizant of the noise and especially when you've got a giant system, but with headphones or whatever, it makes a different thing. And uh, it, it is nice because that was, that was something I remember, like, you know, I go to Zulu Records in Vancouver and you always kind of wonder like, all right, this is an old album. Like, what's it going to sound like when I actually get it home? Um, I like the idea of being able to buy from something where there's everybody's on the same page about how to explain the condition of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which makes a lot of sense. So yeah. that's uh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. A, a good, a good, it's, it kind of sounds like if you've ever used BrickLink, huh. uh, oh. which is a, a way of buying Lego sets that have been oh, retired, okay. like people are selling. Sure. Yeah. It's not that different than, than like um, if you imagine if they took like watch recon or one of the watch sales forums and just took it up a level. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, a buying selling a, like a little bit of eBay injection into the format. 
Uh, and, and that's what Bricklink does. And uh, and it looks like they do it with Discogs too. That's cool. Good pick. Any anything? Any albums huh. that you, you yeah. plan on buying in the next little while? No, I mean, I just wanted to kind of buy that one to kind of experiment with with how the whole thing worked. So now I guess the floodgates are open and I'll just kind of start picking off the ones that I've been wanting for a while. So very cool. Yeah, yeah that's great. All right. So for mine, I've got a, a YouTube channel. It's actually one we've talked about in the past, but we spoke about a specific series, the Rad Ventures uh, series um, that Ryan was doing. Um, you know, there was that great Defender review. Oh, yeah. Uh, a while back, uh, which is super fun to watch. And Basically, what I want to offer is a shout out because I I can't even suggest one series right now. The whole Haggerty YouTube channel is just on an unbelievable pace. Uh, You can have almost any taste in cars and they've got a show for you and the shows come and go. They do six episodes of something and then some of them never come back. Some of them come back for another season later. They've got a a great series. So they they had originally started one with Magnus Walker, the sort of Porsche adjacent um a, a car aficionado and, and style guy, uh, Magnus Walker. And and so they had, they were doing the next big thing, but the problem was that all of those things weren't the next big thing anymore. They were the big thing already, right? Like it's so hard to find hidden gems when the car market was exploding like it has in the last two years. Right. So now they're doing the big thing. And he looks into like kind of superlatives of, of various automotive footnotes around the world. Yeah. Um, but the one that I've come to really enjoy and, and it's the, the most simple, um, the most straightforward, even in terms of it's, the production's lovely, but it's a very straightforward thing. It, it has a little bit of that like antiques roadshow feel to it. It's called um, the appraiser huh. with this guy, Colin Comer. I'm going to guess that Colin's a watch guy. He wears a Mille Miglia in, in these episodes and, uh, and, and I'm going to keep watching and see if he changes that up. But it's very simple that in an episode's, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes long and he'll have somebody bring a car into his garage and he walks you through how you appraise a car, how oh, you give it cool. a grading scale, what to look for in this car or that car. And if you're, if you're a vintage watch fan where it's like, oh, well, you can tell that a case is overpolished because of this, it's that, but for cars. So he goes in and pulls the carpet up in the back and he goes, oh, you see where this is cracked? That means it was hit at some point, but it was repaired nicely. Then he'll kind of give the whole thing a grade. Uh, he'll have the person come back in, the owner of the car come back in. They say, oh, I think my car is worth $150,000. And he'll either go like, well, I'm sorry to tell you it's worth one hundred and twenty, or he'll go, oh, you're way off. It's worth two hundred and fifty. dollars Like, who knows? Huh. Um, the car market is such a thing, but he's a. Uh, this is what his living is, is in appraising cars. And the little lesson of like, some of it's very specific. Like he'll he'll get into a car and he'll go like, well, this is the wrong gauge pod for, uh, you know, a, a GT three fifty or something like that. And and you go like, well, I would I would never know that. This is so fun to watch. And and <laughs> and he can he'll go around and do the paint measuring and and all that kind of stuff. But it's edited in a way that isn't boring or slow. And some of it it gives you a history lesson on the car, so you kind of understand why someone would collect it. Uh, if that's kind of opaque to you, if you're not hugely into cars, yeah. And then you get to watch someone kind of walk around and tell you what he what they look for when they appraise a car and why it's a grade three or a grade two or a grade four or whatever very watchable uh super chill huh that sounds great yeah i enjoy it quite a bit but the, the haggerty channels on, like it's just on absolute fire like camisa uh, jason camisa is one of my favorite automotive uh personalities he has one called icons now and i'll put this in the show notes as well but he just did one for the new lucid air um electric car Oh yeah, California-based electric car, and it, like the 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 cinematography is not, it it might outdo most of what Top Gear ever did. Wow, like they're just operating on a really high level. The writing's amazing, stunt driving. Uh, I'll I'll put a couple in the show notes that you, you can get. He did he did he's done a couple really incredible pieces. He does another great one called um, um, Revelations, like R E V, like a engine revving. Oh yeah, and it's the history of a car. Uh, so you know it, it could be the history of a three series it could be a history of like like of, of a specific model why it did or didn't work or, or whatever and they're again the writing's clever and fun and fast and the audio production or the video and audio production is really good uh yeah so i would say if you if you dig the car thing subscribe to haggerty and start giving some of their the shows a chance because they've got standard stuff about supercars and collector cars and they've got stuff out kind of to the end about history of cars and appraising cars and the rest of it and it's super fun Huh. Nice. It's cool to see the name Haggerty, you know, they've been around forever and they've been, they, what are they into like auctions and insurance and that sort of thing. Right. Yep. And, 
And well, now they own Amelia Island, the car show. Yeah, and to kind of the, reinvent themselves and in, in, mm-hmm. in this new medium, not new, but you know, to kind of in a different way and and pr- produce some really good stuff is uh, is exciting to see. Yeah, and they're not slowing down. Like I said, the uh, the the Haggerty name just bought Amelia Island, which is a huge car show, one of the biggest ones in the world, the collector car, really high end car car show. Yeah, and then they just bought um, Radwood as well, which was that '80s and '90s themed. Wow, uh, car show and and website and stuff. So the, the, they're they're growing and expanding and kind of doing their thing. And man, if I don't if I don't click and enjoy pretty much every video they put out, there's some of them I really wish they'd come back with other seasons. I'd love to see more Rad Ventures with Ryan uh, yeah. Semensek. Yeah, it was really good and and very much kind of in in our zone for the way we would actually use and and maybe one day have those sorts of vehicles. Uh, yeah, it's great. Give it, give it a run if you're into cars. If not, uh, easily skippable. <laughs> <laughs> Could probably say that about almost anything on our show. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You don't like movies. I mean, this one was a, a, a quick, a, a quick no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, hey, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab yourself a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from the late film critic, Roger Ebert, who said, We live in a box of space and time. Movies are windows in its walls. They allow us to enter other minds, not simply in the sense of identifying with the characters, but by seeing the world as another person sees it.